from the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv. Sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast. Welcome to the Mothership. <laughs> Are we talking about the city or the building? Both, really. We're, we're at the centre of the earth and the centre of our world. We are in one of the holiest places on earth. We're in the offices of the Jerusalem Post. They let us in, finally. <laughs> Actually, we snuck in round the back. If they'd have seen us, they'd have closed the doors. Do you know what? It brings back so many memories, even though we were in a different building when I worked here. But just to see some of the faces, some of the names, the bylines that people would have seen for so many years, if you're a reader of the Jerusalem Post. And I have to say, people were so happy to see you. <laughs> you told me to say that. I mean, actually, they were all trying to move away when you arrived. But. but it was a lot of fun coming back here. And we just want to say a big thank you to the Jerusalem Post for hosting us. But also, we're surrounded by walls with newspapers dating back to pre the creation of the State of Israel when it was called the Palestine Post. And the amount of information, the amount of news, stories, both happy and sad that the Jerusalem Post and before it the Palestine Post have imparted to people interested in Israel across the globe in that time is quite phenomenal. I'm facing a wall with all the past editors-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post. Some of my old bosses. And they all look very happy, except one guy in the middle who looks really upset. I think he was probably your he old boss. He was probably my boss. No, I, I, yeah, I know exactly who you mean. And he was, he was rather stern. The reason we are in Jerusalem today is we thought we'd give you a bit of a taste of Israel's capital in addition to us taking you around the world during this episode. And one of the things I notice when I come to Jerusalem is how rapidly it's modernizing. When I first came to Israel and made Aliyah 12 years ago today. Congratulations, Musseltoff. Thank you very much. I actually started an internet radio station and I used to get the bus into Jerusalem and then I get another bus and it was just a really slow trek. Now there are high speed electrical trains from Tel Aviv, from Modi into Jerusalem, into a massive new station. How long did it take you to get from Tel Aviv to here today? It took about 30 minutes. Amazing. It actually takes about 10 minutes to get out of the station because it's so far underground. But then you walk from the station and you walk in the direction of the old city and all the old buildings have got glass towers springing up at the back of them. There is construction everywhere. I was privileged about a month ago to go to a building site near Machane Yehuda and there's an old building called the Eitz Chaim Yeshiva. Other than that, there is nothing left on that site and the Eitz Chaim Yeshiva is on stilts up in the air because they have to preserve it. But around that will be this massive new hotel and office complex. And that's where Jerusalem is heading. We will come back here and do several podcasts. But for today, we're just going to be using our visit to Jerusalem as a launching pad for the other venues for today's podcast. Where are we off to? David. Yes. I love you. Oh, shut up. Where are we going? On honeymoon. Oh, I see. That's why you love me. Yes, we are. Yeah, I don't actually love you. No, we are going to find out Maybe where the perfect place is for that all-important honeymoon. And then... San Diego. Great city. Beautiful, beautiful place to be. The Padres play baseball there. The Chargers used to play. I'm in the newspaper. We've been to the sports (laughs) desk. (laughs) Uh, Talking of knowledge uh, of all things useless, here's a couple of quiz questions before we start the pod. Question number one. Las Vegas is known as America's top wedding destination. But which city in the world has the most weddings each year? And question number two. 
A penalty fine comes into force on February the 2nd each year in San Diego. What is the fine for? The answer's at the end of the pod. This is the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at markdavidpod or mail us at markdavidpod at gmail.com. This is a bit of a fine, David. Certainly is. You said, let's walk along Jaffa Road, the Jerusalem Post buildings, you know, a few, what, 100 yards behind us. We're heading into the uh, main part of downtown. And on the right, there's an area of roadworks and building going on. And behind it, a very low building that looks, what, about 150 years old? Yeah, like you say, it's a low building. It's got that 19th century Jerusalem Jaffa Road look. The whole street used to look like this, but this building has had more than one use. Originally, it was built as part of the Sha'arei Tzedek Hospital, which is one of the two main hospitals in Jerusalem alongside Hadassah, and subsequently it was used for broadcasting. We're inside the synagogue of the building, although it doesn't look like a synagogue anymore. Well, it still has the Ark. It still has the Ark. It has some of the original frescoes. You can see what they've done here. They've tried to give it that old look, but at the same time, it's very, very modern. What this is now is like a community space. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some offices, I think. I think you can come here and do yoga. There's somebody, I believe, who takes in materials and recycles them into artworks. So this building has seen, as you said, so many changes. First there was the health of the people, then as um, entertainment and news came on board, it was that, and now it's a place for arts and culture, which is so much the modern face of Jerusalem. And there's a pub. (laughs) which we're about to have a drink in. What's it called? It's called Beer Bazaar, and they brew their own beer. And I saw they've got cider on the menu. Hopefully they ferment their own. We're in the synagogue. Mm -hmm. Do you think anybody ever got married in here? Oh, well, I can tell you on the basis of... I'm very familiar with uh, the other hospital in, in Jerusalem, Hadassah, and there, absolutely, there have been weddings. So why not here as well? So after weddings, where do we go on holiday? Because after all, this is a tourism podcast. On our Yareach Dvash, as they say in Israel, or honeymoon. I've only ever been on one honeymoon, so I'm not really an expert on the subject. But you know someone who is. We'll let her introduce herself. Hello, I'm Kat Williams and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Rock and Roll Bride magazine. I have had the chance to read Rock and Roll Bride magazine from cover to cover. I love it. Are you planning on another wedding? Don't tell my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe for our silver wedding anniversary we can do it all again. Before we start the interview, where did you get married, Mark? Where did I get married? In Leeds. What sort of place was it like? It it was in a synagogue in Leeds. It was quite a stuffy wedding. I went to your bachelor's or stag do. It was anything but stuffy. Yes, yes. Unfortunately, we couldn't bring Amsterdam to my wedding. (laughs) (laughs) So the magazine is definitely not white weddings or not just white weddings. And it's not top hats and very traditional. It's something else. I started the magazine as a blog. So in 2007, when me and my husband, Gareth, were engaged, I started it as a blog to document how we were planning our wedding because we wanted something different. In 2007, 2008, everything was so traditional here in the UK. It's changed a little bit now, I'd like to think, because of us. <laughs> but I started a blog just to have, like, share alternative ideas, I suppose, and then it just sort of grew from there. So, yeah, anything that's not traditional is our jam. And it's not just a magazine, is it? There's a book as well. 
There is a book as well. Yeah, I published a book in 2019. So that was a very exciting time. We specifically invited you on because we're a travel show to talk about honeymoons. Where did you go on your honeymoon? We went to Tokyo and it was amazing. Like we fell in love with it. Our big mistake, although we still argue about this because Gareth, my husband, doesn't think it was a mistake. I do. Our big mistake was going the day after the wedding because we were both so hungover. I think he puked in the airport, like in a bin. (laughs) (laughs) And, And because we had so much to do for the wedding, the honeymoon was kind of in the back of our minds. So... We weren't very organized. So we, you know, we got there and he hadn't brought a coat and it was April. So it was freezing. We were about to get off the plane. And, you know, you fill in the customs card to say where you're staying. And he was like, where, what's the name of our hotel? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I was just in wedding zone. So we figured it out, but I wouldn't advise going the day after. Did the hotel that you stayed at know that you were a honeymoon couple? They didn't actually. We did it on a super duper budget. So we stayed in like a hostel type Ryokan, is that what they call them? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very low key. It wasn't like a fancy sort of thing. We literally slept on like a mat on the floor, but we loved it. Like it was so Japan and we loved it so much. We went back a few years ago and did the whole train thing down the country. And I'd loved any excuse to go back to Japan. It's like my favorite place. It's so cool. You sent over a wonderfully produced and also pretty hefty magazine for us to have a look at. Mark has read it cover to cover. I only skimmed it because I just caught it before this interview, so I'll have a look later. But the one thing that I did notice was uh, you've been looking into the Maldives as a honeymoon destination. Tell us about that. I will happily always look into the Maldives. It's an amazing place (laughs) to go. So doing what we do, we luckily sometimes get press trips to go and experience these wonderful places and review them for the magazine. And um, we've luck- been lucky to do the Maldives twice. So the issue that you've got was one of those ones that we were reviewing the Maldives through one of the particular resorts hosted us. I think if you've got the money to spend, the Maldives is like one of the most iconic honeymoon places you can go. I mean, if you want to lay on a beach and just not do much, then it's the perfect place to go. Like the first time I went, I just thought it's like being in a screensaver. It's so beautiful. It's like perfect. And the people are so lovely and it's just like amazing. Obviously not a budget honeymoon, but amazing. Do you think that makes for a good honeymoon though, having isolation, peace, nothing to do? Or do you think a good honeymoon involves activities, socialising, being out there a lot more? I think it 100% depends on the pe- the people. Like, I never thought I was a beach person. I always thought I'd be really bored on a beach holiday, which is why we did Tokyo, because we wanted to go and experience a different culture and like do lots of things. But since I've started traveling for work I've actually started to appreciate just lying around and doing nothing so it just depends what kind of person you are you know just like with the weddings we promote we want to promote people doing a honeymoon that feels right for them whether that's something budget whether that's giving themselves lots of activities or a mixture of the two. So what about food in the Maldives then? Well, the Maldives is quite a weird place because you're like in a resort. So you're kind of stuck with what the resort give you. But, you know, the, the resorts generally have, you know, lots of different restaurants and they do the buffet thing where they serve lots of different cuisines. So it is a good place to try lots of things. I wouldn't say it's the most authentic experience because it's very commercial, I suppose. And like it's almost fake, like a theme park, but it's lovely. But if you want a, an amazing culinary experience, it probably wouldn't be the spot for you. You and your hubby, Gareth, 
and me and my professional hubby, Mark, we met on a cruise. It did. It was your first cruise, wasn't it? It was our first cruise. Yeah, it was an experience. We met you lining up with all the journalists and we're all going, what do we do? What do we do? And we sort of calmed down. You got on before us. You were like pros, even though we've done it before. I was just sitting on the floor in the airport, exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) This It sounds like this is a theme. Was this like the night after a hangover? No, I don't even drink anymore. It was just we had such an early start. I think our flight was at 7am from Heathrow. (laughs) How would you rate cruising for a honeymoon? I went into that with no preconceptions because I'd never, we'd never done it. I was like, I'm just going to, we're just going to go into it and see what the vibe is. A lot of it was what I expected and a lot of it wasn't. And I actually think it would be a really good honeymoon option, especially if you want to visit a lot of different places. Because, you, you know, if you go on one where it drops you at different places and if you don't want to have to, you know, lug black bags everywhere, you just sort of get on and unpack once. And I was quite surprised at how affordable it was, actually, when they sent through the pricing. I was like, this is actually pretty decent, not a super expensive option. So I think it's quite a good option for a honeymoon, actually. And if you've got kids, you know, a lot of people get married later in life or they've already got kids. I think it's such a good idea because, you know, there's all the stuff for them to do, too. So, yeah, love it. Clearly by the name of your magazine and all of your products, you're into things that are a little bit different, a little bit out there, at least a, a little bit different for boring, staid people like Mark and myself. Okay, like myself, I'm not going to speak for Mark. But how out there, how different is sort of the most extreme honeymoon that you've reported on that you know about? Oh, that's an interesting question. Let me just think. I don't know if I've if I really have reported on anything that's that extreme, to be honest. Well, something fun, something unusual, something different, something that would make people go, "Ooh." I mean, I've I've heard of people, you know, doing the sort of the camper van thing around Europe, where they just hire or have their own van and they drive around and sleep on the side of the road and do the kind of camping thing. I mean, that's quite cool and unusual. But I think any honeymoon, just like any wedding, can be as commercial or as unusual as you want it to be. Where was your honeymoon, David? Oh, oh! I had a really nice one, and we couldn't afford it. My brother-in-law paid for it. We flew out to Canada, to Quebec City, to Le Chateau Frontenac, which is an amazing castle-like hotel built in the early 1900s. We spent a few days there, and then we spent a few extra days in Montreal, which is a fab city, and I believe over the last 25 years or so since I got married, it's uh, even nicer. It's really modern, fresh. The port area, there's a lot, a lot to see. I've thought of another one. I did hear of somebody once going to uh, Romania and doing the kind of Dracula sort of tour. That's a very unusual honeymoon option, really. But if you're a goth, I mean, there's nothing more (laughs) fabulous. I took my wife there not too long ago, but I was hoping sort of Dracula would catch her with a steak or something, you know, in reverse of of, of the traditional story. I went to Tunisia. Mine's quite a sad... I mean, the honeymoon was lovely. Uh, We stayed in this place called Port Al-Kantoui. Really nice luxury hotel on the beach. Never thought much more about it afterwards, obviously... It was a happy honeymoon. And then I got... <laughs> I've got, I've got you a don't, I've got you a, don't have to say that unless no, no, it but wasn't. When I, but when I say I didn't think much about my honeymoon afterwards, about 15 years later, through my day job, I joined a team that gets involved with crisis work. And one of the crisis videos we saw was a terrorist attack on that hotel. The same video I saw of us on honeymoon, there was a dead body floating in the pool. Kind of taking the romance out of it. And listeners to episode, oh, episode about 30 will have already heard part of that story before. 
Yeah. I, ha- I have told it before. You have, I'm you sorry. have. So we're, we're you can edit we're that just, out. Yeah. Well, no, we've sort of run out of stories, so we just recycle them and hope that This is what old age is. It's just telling the same Absolutely. stories again. So do you want to carry on with the get, questions? Get, get, should we just talk we, about we, we, We've just gone off at a tangent. How do our listeners find out more about Rock and Roll Bride and get a copy of it? Well, our website is rockandrollbride.com. So it's rock and roll as in rock and roll with an N, not an and. That's a mistake sometimes people make. So it's rock and roll bride. We're Rock and Roll Bride on Instagram. We've also got Rock and Roll Bride magazine on Instagram. We've got two accounts just to make things complicated. I'm Rock and Roll Bride on TikTok. Did I teach you how to make a TikTok on the cruise? I can't remember. I know we definitely spoke about it. But I'm loving TikTok. Next next holiday. I've I've still got a watch that says TikTok every second. That's about as advanced as I get. But yeah, everything is pretty much found. If that counts. Everything can pretty much be found on rockandrollbride.com. So you can order the magazine there. We ship worldwide. You can order the book there. You can also find the book on Amazon and stuff. But it's actually better if you order it from us because then I make some money rather than Amazon (laughs) making all the money. (laughs) If you, by any chance, come across uh, this wonderful couple, Kat and Gareth, don't try to tackle them in... What's that shooting thing that we did called? Laser laser Quest? Laser Tag? Laser Laser Tag. Because Gareth was the only person out there who scored higher than me. So I'm up for revenge, but never, ever take on Gareth. He's very, very good. I don't think anybody scored lower than me. Uh, it makes a change. You normally beat me at everything. Uh, Kat, give us a finishing thought for people who are arranging honeymoons, who are planning something, maybe, you know, a tip, not just about a place, but how to go about doing it. I think my big tip for honeymoons would be whatever you've got to spend, figure out what it is that's really key to you? Is it that you want to have something just to relax? Is it that you want to go and experience something new? Is it that you just want to bring the kids, like figure out what it is that you really want to do? This is a great opportunity to do that and then go and do it. Don't apologize for it. Cat Williams from Rock and Roll Bride Magazine. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's time for the latest Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition news. Following US President Joe Biden's recent visit to Saudi Arabia, the first plane flew through Saudi airspace to reach Israel. Cathay Pacific brought travelers from Hong Kong to Tel Aviv. Israeli airlines will have to wait just a few weeks more until Saudi Arabia's neighbor Oman ratifies a 2018 decision to allow Israeli companies to use its airspace. Despite images of lengthy lines at Ben Gurion, airport management says pre-flight procedure time has been reduced by an hour, even though there's an increase in passenger numbers. They say separate processing of those traveling with hand luggage has cut waiting times. Israelis flying with El Al to certain destinations can check in a day early at Ben Gurion or Haifa Airport, further reducing waiting times at Ben Gurion. Passengers with Turkish and Pegasus can check in at Haifa. A month after launching daily flights between Dubai and Tel Aviv, Emirates is adding a second daily flight. This increases opportunities to access the Dubai carrier's connections worldwide. El Al is making good on its pre-COVID promise to launch services from Israel to Tokyo, Dublin and Melbourne. El Al CEO Dina Bental Ganancia says the trip to Australia will take 15 hours. From May 2023, Delta will fly three times a week between Atlanta, Georgia and Tel Aviv on Sundays, Wednesdays and Fridays. The airline already operates flights to Israel from New York and Boston. 
And in Israel, the high-tech nation, a technical glitch in Ibis's Jerusalem hotels meant guests got a deal of a lifetime. While the hotels normally charge 599 shekels a night, scores of people book their hotel rooms for just 59.90 or $18, and that included breakfast. Ibis honored the booking price. Hi, this is David Harris from the Jerusalem Post podcast Travel Edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. Take cover! <laughs> You've got to be very careful if you shout that in Jerusalem. Oh, my, good point, actually. My friend. <laughs> Best not. Yeah. Mark is being funny, as usual. Because we've continued along Jaffa Road, it's the main drag through Jerusalem. Where we are right now is not the most attractive area. It's bus stops. For those of you who know, the Binyan Klau building, which is a bit of a maze. But on a corner, about a three-minute walk from the Machana Yehuda market, is a mortar cannon. A mortar. An improvised mortar from 1948. Which is known as the Davidka. Or the Little David. The Little David. It Hello, was, Little David. Hello. It was used both in Safed Sfat. and here in Jerusalem. Oh, Yerushalayim. It was a fairly useless weapon in terms of it lacked accuracy. I, I would dispute that. That's Wikipedia saying it was useless. <laughs> That's like saying David Hasselhoff didn't bring down the wall. It won the war. See episode about 45 for more on David Hasselhoff. It wasn't the biggest, it wasn't the best weapon, but it had a boom. It was really loud and it scared a lot of the Arab fighters away. And it was one of the weapons that led to the victory of the Israelis of the nascent state in 1948. And if you want to go one stop past Machane Yehuda on the tram, there is Davidka Square Station. It's halfway between Machane Yehuda and Ben Yehuda. But anyway, it's good for a photo op. And a bakery next door, not a pub. Have you been to San Diego? I was going to ask you, where's the furthest west you've been? Probably San Diego. I don't know, is Seattle Airport further west? Or San Francisco? If I've come from China and come yes. all the way to Los Angeles, yes. technically I've probably been as far west as you can go. This now sounds like a page out of Around the World in 80 Days. Well, it was in one day because I suddenly crossed the date line and it was a day later or earlier. As it was in Around the World in 80 Days. Ah, showing my ignorance. Anyway. No, I've not been to San Diego. I've been to Los Angeles a number of times but never made it down to so San Diego. So San Diego's beautiful. I've got family there. It's a lovely city. The suburbs are great. If you're interested in Jewish, in kosher, La Jolla, which is on the beach, is the neighborhood for you. To find out more about San Diego, both Jewish and broader, we spoke with Don Harrison who's the editor emeritus of the San Diego Jewish World, and he told us about the early days of his city. The very first settler in San Diego came the same year that California became a state in 1850. His name was uh, Louis Rose, and at the time San Diego had all of 650 people. Uh, Louis eventually served uh, on the first grand jury the Board of Education, the City Board of Trustees. A number of places here in San Diego are named for him. One is a place called Rose Canyon, which is near La Jolla. It's also known by uh, geologists as a fault zone. It's known as the Rose Canyon Fault. I remind you that it's the Canyon Fault and not Rose's Fault. <laughs> he, uh, 
He also founded a place called Roseville, which is part of our Point Loma community, which is right along San Diego Bay. And he wasn't the only prominent Jew in the early period. Others who served on the board of trustees uh, included a fellow by the name of uh, Joseph Manassie, one of the fellows who decided to permit an auction to be held, at which time uh, Alonzo Horton purchased a great tract of property that became our downtown. His partner, Marcus Schiller, was one of the trustees who voted to set aside uh, some 1,500 acres of land, which became our famous Balboa Park, where our zoo is located. Our oldest congregation is called Congregation Beth Israel, Reform Congregation. It was formally begun in 1889, and the old building in which it was started today sits in a place called Heritage Park near our old town, uh, San Diego. You can still visit it today and see the, the stained glass windows with the mug and dovets on it, the two uh, tablets of the law above the, the uh, roof line. And this uh, leadership of our city has continued into the present day. So if I wanted to take a guided tour around this heritage of San Diego, is that option available or would I have to guide myself effectively? I'm sure it would make a great sideline for somebody to offer those tours, but there are no such formal tours. I've written tours on our website that people could follow on their own, both of uh, Old Town and of Balboa Park. But as far as I know, there is no such service. Beyond Jewish San Diego, what are your top recommendations for visitors? I'd love to go and see the Padres one day. (laughs) You know, every year they have one day where the Jewish community comes out and uh, we temporarily name them the Abbas um, instead of the Padres. (laughs) (laughs) We're probably best known for animals. Uh, You mentioned the San Diego Zoo, but that's really only one thing that you can find here. The zoo has uh, both the zoo in Balboa Park, and then it also has something called Safari Park, where the animals can roam more freely out on a plane. There's also SeaWorld. Uh, we have the Birch Aquarium up in La Jolla. There are various rescue preserves like the Children's Nature Reserve and the, something called Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Oh, my. Yeah, oh, my. And we also have horseback riding and freshwater and deep sea fishing and hiking along the trails where you can encounter small game. In Balboa Park, there's 18 museums, uh, one of which is the Museum of Natural History, which you know, you'll find a lot of animals, unfortunately, they're stuffed there. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> they're more at Liberty Station. You know, it's just a, a place with so many things to see and to do. How's the nightlife in San Diego? Theatres, music, opera? In terms of theatres, we have two that are very well known throughout the country. Uh, one is the La Jolla Playhouse. And it was started in the late 1940s by none other than Gregory Peck. Mm-hmm. Um, Gregory Peck uh, had lived in San Diego, in La Jolla, as a, as a young boy. His father was a, a pharmacist here. He realized that making movies and, and performing in plays are very different experiences. You know, a movie, you might cut, refilm the same scene many, many times. You may take things out of order. Whereas in a play, of course, you have to go continuously. And so as not to lose those skills, Gregory Peck persuaded uh, his friends that uh, they should get involved in, in theater, and they created the, this, this theater. And so it's always been a place where you might find a, a movie star actually just trotting the boards. And then we also have the Old Globe Theater, uh, which is named after, of course, mm-hmm. Shakespeare's Old Globe. But it's in Balboa Park, and they have three theaters. 
And both of those theaters have, have actually generated plays that have since gone on to Broadway and have been uh, very popular. And then, of course, we get touring Broadway theater that comes here like most cities. And then we have a number of other theaters as well. We also have a wonderful symphony. So in terms of culture, I think you'll find San Diego has much to offer. What about for Jewish visitors who may be observant, who want to keep kosher, observe Shabbat? Are there facilities for them as well? We have a number of Orthodox congregations, and if they were to call them in advance, they'd be able to make uh, arrangements. We don't have very many kosher dining facilities. There's one at the Jewish Community Center. There are a couple of small ones, but we don't really have a network of, of kosher restaurants. What we do have are a lot of vegetarian restaurants and, uh-huh. you know, those people who consider vegetarianism just a higher form of kosher. <laughs> well, that's just fine. That would be me. <laughs> we have Beth Jacob Congregation, which is an Orthodox congregation, is right near San Diego State University. And Adadia Shuren is right by the University of California at San Diego. We also have a Young Israel in San Diego and a whole network of Chabad houses all the way from the Mexican border up to the city of Oceanside. By calling any of them in advance, they'll tell you not only about hotels that might be nearby, but also what the possibilities are for getting a nice Shabbat meal. If people want to know what's Jewish and happening in the city, how can they access your publication, San Diego Jewish World? It's sdjewishworld.com. And we have extensive archives that you can go through. Additionally, I I mentioned I've written a number of books about Jewish San Diego, and there can be found uh, on Amazon under my name. One is called 77 Miles of Jewish Stories. Another one is called uh, Schlepping and Schmoozing Through San Diego County. Excellent. I think you get the idea. Don Harrison from San Diego Jewish World, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. San Diego Fact File You can fly into San Diego International from most major American cities. British Airways, Japan Airlines, Lufthansa, Air Canada and Swoop all land in San Diego. An Uber from the airport to downtown San Diego will set you back some $25 or $30 for the 10 minute journey. There's a free airport shuttle, the San Diego Flyer. It will take you to the Old Town Transit Center. Kosher eateries include botanic burgers, Parisian gourmandise, with Rouse in La Jolla offering kosher groceries. Ben and Esther's is a vegan Jewish bagel store. Recommended hotels include the Hyatt Regency, Paradise Point Resort and Spa, Pendry San Diego, the Hard Rock Hotel, and the Manchester Grand Hyatt San Diego. Chabad has half a dozen branches around the city. This is nice. What a lovely way to end our evening trip to Jerusalem. It's very peaceful. We're in a hidden courtyard. We are about 20 seconds, 30 seconds walk from the Machanei Huda Market, which is so busy. And this is just trees, a courtyard, people 
munching on their dinners, uh, family groups just sitting, enjoying the cool evening breeze. There's a nice mix here of buildings from around the 1870s, 1880s on one side of this particular courtyard we're on and on the other side what looks to be relatively modern replicas uh, right. of buildings that were here before. This is Nachlaot, I believe. It is Nachlaot. It is one of the oldest neighbourhoods in New Jerusalem. It began, as you said, in the at the end of the 19th century. What happened in that period when you were getting that large wave of Aliyah, of immigration from Eastern Europe, the old city became just too crowded, and so new neighbourhoods had to be founded. And this is one. It's based around 23 courtyards. It's replete with art galleries, synagogues, and has become one of the hippest, trendiest areas in Jerusalem. You're two, three minutes walk away from bustle, nightlife, but then you can wander here, and especially in these houses, just go to bed at night in peace and quiet. And, of course, a lot of famous people lived here as, as well. Yitzhak Navon, uh, former president of Israel, grew up here, and hence Jerusalem's new central station is called Yitzhak Navon Station. And one of the most famous uh, rabbis of the modern Israeli era, Rabbi Arya Levine, also wandered the streets of this neighbourhood. By the way, I should say, in terms of accommodation, there are quite a few places in this neighbourhood that are available on Airbnb. And so if you're here and you want that midweek buzz and feel of the whole trendy area around the Machane Huda market, this is a great place because you're right on top of it and it's quiet. And if you come here for a Shabbat, for a weekend break, then you really get the peace and quiet and we'll see the neighbourhood as it is with its mixed population. Against this beautiful background i think it's time to say a few thank yous thank you to cat williams from rock and roll bride magazine and to don harrison all the way from san diego quiz time absolutely question number one las vegas is known as america's top wedding destination but which city in the world has the most weddings each year david well i know because i wrote the question oh okay uh, i was going to go for china basically biggest cities istanbul with 166,000 weddings per year on average, which makes sense considering it's a city of over 20 million people. And I'm sure there was quite a lot of people from outside of Turkey who turn it into a holiday destination for their wedding. We should go one day. And question number two. A penalty fine comes into force on February the 2nd each year in San Diego. What is the fine for? Is it for celebrating Valentine's Day early? <laughs> it's almost that, except in the other direction. Celebrating Martin Luther King Day late. <laughs> it's for leaving your Christmas lights up after the date of February the 2nd. It should be January the 6th, really. They're I, so liberal down in California. <laughs> I really like seeing Christmas lights all year round. It's very special. If you've enjoyed the podcast, make sure you give us a five-star rating. At least. Shh. Well, I've tried to give it six, but it just tends to say 404, page not found. <laughs> Tell your friends, subscribe, share it on social media. You can obviously hear us in the Jerusalem Post or download us through Google, Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast providers. And you can find us in social media at, at MarkDavidPod and the email is MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. 
If you've liked this, there are 39 other episodes to listen to. Well, if they're listening to this in the future, there could be 139 episodes to listen to. And if you find David irritating, <laughs> he's only half of the content. So just press that forward 30 seconds button. <laughs> yes, I talk in 30 second sound bites. That's what they taught us in journalism school. Folks, thank you so much for joining us on this journey. See you soon. Bye bye. Thank you.